I am Siggy, born and raised in St. Catharines, Ontario, and now living in the nation's capital of Ottawa. I'm Armand Ehrman, born and raised in West Warwick, Rhode Island, and now living in Providence. And I'm Jazzy, born in Manila, Philippines, raised in Toronto, Canada, and schooled all over southwestern Ontario. You're listening to the Halo Halo podcast, a delicious mix of pop culture and the Filipino-Canadian life. Before we start our podcast, we'd like to acknowledge the lands we're podcasting on. I'm podcasting from the traditional lands of the Huron-Wendat, the Seneca, and most recently, the Mississaugas of the Credit River. I'm podcasting from the traditional homeland of the Narragansett, Niantic, Nipmuc, Pequot, and Wampanoag people. And I'm podcasting from the traditional unceded territory of the Algonquin and Anishinaabeg people. On today's podcast, we discuss Hello Stranger the movie and love teams. But before we do that, we have a guest on today's episode. We've got Armin. Woo. Armin, welcome. Welcome. Yeah, so glad to have you here. Armin had reached out to us after our first episode on the BL series in the season, episode 302 in the fall, and asked if we had seen Gaius of Pelicula. We sort of like connected through that. But before we even start, Armin, like we've had many guests on our podcast, can you tell us a little bit about your immigration story? Yes. So I, as I said in the intro, born and raised in West Warwick and now living in the capital. My parents immigrated from Kabanatuan, just uh, three hours outside of Manila. Right. And they came over in the, I believe, early 80s. And I was born in 1988. So I'm a look like I'm five years old, but I'm actually about to turn 33. <laughs> so your parents came in the tail end of like that fourth wave in the United States and Canada and even Australia for that matter. Mm-hmm. Is that right? When I think about kind of immigration stories, there's like these waves of exodus. And so they're either kind of pre-domestic workers and they're usually like healthcare workers, white collar workers, you know, that kind of moved in. Or then people that came in through domestic programs and stuff like that. It sounds like at least if they came in the early 80s, is that what you said? Yeah, I think like 83-ish. Yeah. So I'm wondering if they came in that last wave of pre-domestic workers coming into the United States. Is that kind of fair of me to say? or? Uh, you know, that's a good question. Like, I'm not actually totally sure. I know that the reason why there are Filipinos in Rhode Island, I think, <laughs> partly is because of one of my uncles on my dad's side who... I think got a job at Northeastern yes. University. Oh. Right. And so I think he was the first one to move over and then the floodgates opened. And so oh, all, right. the, all the Aramans oh, wow. followed. <laughs> so kind of like under like a family reunification legal scheme of sorts. It's interesting mm. then that, it, sorry, it was your uncle or your mom? Yeah, my uncle on my dad's side. On your, your uncle so, and your dad. So my dad's brother. Right. It's so mm-hmm. how did he get to Rhode Island? Like why Rhode Island or did he stop anywhere else in between? That's such a good question. <laughs> <laughs> and that's something that like, seriously, like as far as Filipino identity goes, yeah. it's all relatively recent for me. For the most part, I didn't really think too much about it until I was approached in the violin shop by that repeat customer who said, oh, have you heard of Philippine folk music or have you ever looked into it? Right. So it really wasn't until then. Up until that point, I was pretty much just a Filipino-American playing Irish traditional music and singing traditional English songs. So 
I'm like a born again Filipino. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're all born again Filipinos, you know, oh, yeah. and I think to myself, I don't think I actually started to embrace what it meant to be Filipino until my 20s, actually. And then it's just been mm. a long incremental journey since then. And then really just kind of fostering my own curiosity. And I would say probably, Siggy, you're probably the same too, same. right? Yeah, in my 30s and linking up with you. Yeah, it's, it's that journey and still learning more now. Yeah. And I would say, Sig, you and I, I think when you met me, I was already well on my way, but it was kind of like, Sig, we got to think about these things. Like we got to talk about domestic workers. We got to talk about Filipinos. We got to talk about model minority myths and stuff like that. I don't think there's anyone that comes late to the party in terms of kind of embracing our Filipino identity. I think it's always Mm. there. I think sometimes what happens is, is, is that there's an anesthesia in the air with respect to patriarchy, white supremacy, like all these different ideas, colonialism. You just don't think about it until someone asks you a question. And as far as I'm concerned, Uh like it's okay to not know, right? Like I think that these are like good starting places to kind of figure out. It's kind of how did my uncle kind of end up here? Because then that kind of determined Uh a whole other set of decisions made. And I always think to myself how my mom petitioned most of her brothers and sisters in the greater Toronto region. And I know that if my mom decided to settle elsewhere, 40 other Filipinos would be in that place too. (laughs) So it's always something Mm -hmm. to think about. And Sigs, I'm sure that you kind of think about that too, that if your mom had decided to immigrate, your parents decided to immigrate. It was my dad. It was my dad that came in and he had encouraged, my mom was working in Belgium that time and they had hooked up and she was with child. And so she wanted to have her child in Canada. So that was like 1975. Yeah, it's interesting. It, it is a very interesting sort of journey. You learn more and more. Listeners, what you need to know is Armin and I were all connecting and we were talking about like where Filipinos end up, at least on the Eastern seaboard. Armin had raised the idea that it's like mostly it's in New Jersey, New York, huh. at least on the Eastern seaboard. I don't know that I, I can say that I have a great idea of what it's like to be a Filipino on the Eastern seaboard, especially in New Jersey and in New York. I mean, I've got an idea, but I absolutely have no idea what it's like to be Filipino in Rhode Island. What is it like yeah. being Filipino in Rhode Island? Th- that's a good question. <laughs> what do you, I mean, what it, do you think it's it like? It almost, like I said, like up until recently, it kind of just felt like I was white. Mm. Like, like, you know, just growing yeah. up in a whitewashed mm. yeah. corner of a sort of way, just because I'm like, there are not a lot of Filipinos in Rhode right. Island to begin uh-huh. with. Mm-hmm. And then once, you know, we're all in different schools, I was one of two or three Filipinos in my class of 25 students from K through eight. Mm. Wow. And even in that entire school, there was only a small handful. And then even then, we didn't really all hang out anyway. We would see each other at family parties, community parties and stuff like yep. that. But, you know, all my friends were white. Most of my friends now are still white. (laughs) I mean, they didn't stop being white, but... Of course, of course, of course. (laughs) So, yeah, like, I'm just so curious what it's like to be someone who grew up in, you know, California, New Jersey, New York, where you can't get away from Filipino anything, which sounds great to me now. (laughs) Yeah, I think, you know, here, at least in the GTA, there's a sizable... Filipino population here in the greater Toronto area. Mm. I would say, though, too, that it is kind of, in as much as it's a community, it's sometimes probably fractured at times, meaning you've got people divided amongst when they came into the country, the professions that they hold, the success of their children. But we all shop at Seafood City, 
together. Oh yeah. <laughs> so we, we all end up. I wish I could say that. I know. I, well, you know, Armin, I, I just want to say like seafood city just came to the greater Toronto region two yeah. years ago. So it's not like it's been a, around for a long time and we've all had to rely yeah, yeah. on Chinese supermarkets and other Asian grocery stores. But I would think that I talked about it earlier about the kind of anesthesia of it all. Perhaps you don't think about it or have thought about it until someone has just kind of brought it to your attention, but you still kind of Interestingly enough, like talking about those community parties or family parties and stuff like that, there is at least, I would think, at least a sense of being Filipino there when you're in those situations, those settings. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of curious to know, too, in terms of how did you get to singing like, you know, what I would describe sea shanty music is the way that I would describe it or playing sea sea shanty music. Because I was playing your music, some of my white friends, and they were like, they have roots in New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, Prince Edward Island. Mm -hmm. So which I think is much more akin to like places like Rhode Island in the United States. I think, in fact, geographically, that part of the world probably has more in common amongst those two areas as opposed to Nova Scotians or New Brunswick people with people in Ontario like ourselves. So... Yeah. So they called it sea shanty. They're like, that's sea shanty music. And we were like, there's a Filipino in Rhode Island Singing, yeah. playing sea shanty music. I need to know more. So so please answer that question for me. Like, how did you get into it? So mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay, jump back into the time machine, going back to the tailor shop, taking lessons. So we've done that. I started playing classical violin, I guess, for like a half year or so. And then in my sophomore year of high school in Providence, I would always go to string ensemble because that was the only time I could play with other people. And before string ensemble was photography club. Mm. And so I would always go to both. So I brought my violin into the photography club room. I would leave it there in the corner, do photography things, and then go off to string ensemble. But one day my teacher who was the moderator of the photography club, he said, oh, you know what? I'm taking Irish music lessons from this guy in Cranston named Jimmy Devine. And would you be interested in starting a Celtic arts club? And I was like, I don't know the words you're saying, but yes. <laughs> and so, so I really just got into Irish music because I had nothing else to do in a way. So we started getting together once a week and he would teach me the tunes that he was learning in his fiddle class. Eventually, I was interested in taking lessons from the same person. And before I started taking lessons, I went to a house concert that he was hosting for a former student of his and two other people. And this is my favorite part of the origin story of how I got into Mm -hmm. Irish music is because (laughs) the three musicians who were playing Irish music we're all Asian. Uh, so there is uh, Dana Lin, Tina Lek, and Junji Shiroda. And they had a groove called the Rice Patties, oh! which is oh! the best. <laughs> oh, yes! that's the best, the Rice yes. Patties. Oh. Yes. Like the perfect marriage of these two things. It is the best Irish music band name. Oh my God. That, and it has not been beaten. And just to be clear, Patties, P A T T I E S or P A D P A D D Y. D D. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, my goodness. You know, like you frame it as you just happen into it, but. You know, it's one thing to discover it. It's another to just kind of keep coming back over and over Mm -hmm. and over. Do you know what I mean? Like you would have things to do, but you would keep coming back only simply because somewhere in there, there was an affinity, an attraction, a love of some sorts. Is that kind of fair to say? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. For me first at the time, it was the music itself that grabbed me. But later on, 
pretty soon down the line, it was also because of the social aspect. Mm. The, you know, there's such a strong community aspect with folk music in general, but particularly with Irish music at the time uh, with me. Like, it was uh, such a wonderful time because unlike my classmates who were only interacting with people in their age group, I was the youngest person at a lot of these Irish music sessions, right. is what they're called, kind of like jams, but they're called sessions. Right. I was probably the youngest person by at least 20 years by default for a long time until I started going to festivals and meeting other people my age. And it was just a great way to break down those uh, social barriers, whether it was age or all that. When I think about Irish music, I think about very much, as you had described it, a community aspect to it. Like there's a strong community Mm -hmm. element to it. And I can see the attraction that way. But there's also a salt of the earth feeling to the music as well. And to the lyrics Mm -hmm. is probably the way I would also describe it. I can only think of it this Mm -hmm. way, only simply because the second part of my childhood was spent growing up in an Irish Catholic community. So it was like, it was called Highland Creek. The name of our priest was Father Lockley. Flanagan. And so (laughs) Uh you can imagine, or at least I was exposed to some of a lot of Irish music then. And again, I think that that's where I would think the attraction would be that there is that. I'm just kind of wondering too, like when you would go to these festivals, if you will, like what was the response to you? Because I'm sure people probably asked a bunch of questions. And I know that sometimes when after a while, if you have to answer the question quite often, you end up kind of coming up with a canned response. I'm kind of curious, like what was your canned response to people when they'd be like, you know, you don't look Irish. How did you get into Irish music? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I got that question so many times. I still get it. And like in the beginning, I was just like, oh, I'm Filipino and I'm from Rhode Island. I play Irish music. Hurrah. You know, and I kind of treated it more as like a, oh, this is sort of like a a novelty thing, which is a way for me to stand out. And so in a way, I kind of took advantage of it at first. And now it's, I'm I'm totally over it. I'm so so sad. (laughs) But for the most part, I'm usually the kind of person to avoid confrontation or, you know, I just want to make sure that everything's happy in the moment, unless it's an annoying Facebook interaction, then that's different. But, (laughs) um, you know, like if someone says, oh, how did you get into the music? And, you know, I can tell that they're being genuinely curious, but there is the other side of it, which can feel very othering because the other angle of it is they're asking you because you don't look like you belong Mm. in a way. Mm -hmm. That's the implication. how did you get into this? And so, you know, for the most part, I still respond in the same way, but uh, maybe just (laughs) less enthusiastically. (laughs) You know, I was reading some research on Filipinos and actually it was Anthony Ocampo's work. He's (laughs) a professor at... I can never remember. It's one of these California universities. And he was talking about the ability of Filipinos to be like chameleons wherever we are in the diaspora. Mm-hmm. And I think that you just take anything that's around you and then you make it your own. And I think in some ways, sometimes the commonality is finding like communal collectivist based type of activities. To me, Mm -hmm. it's like every time I hear different stories of how Filipinos are in different parts of the world, it never surprises me about this kind of communal aspect, kind of like, oh, I got into this because of the community or I got into it because of the communal nature of the activity. I just find your immigration story and your like, and your interest in how you ended up where you are just so fascinating. In some ways, it helps me prove my hypothesis that I have, that it's like we look for community-based values in terms of what we do wherever we are, wherever we settle in this world. 
world. Yeah. Would you agree? Is that kind of also fair to say? Yeah, definitely. I like, when I think about, think back to when I was growing up, one of the things that I miss most about my childhood is the Filipino community parties. Mm. Oh, yeah. And I think maybe in a way the Irish music became the replacement for that when yeah. all the kids grew up and everyone went their separate ways. I don't know. Was that the case for you? Like, were there a lot of community parties back in the day yep. and now yeah, it's not really but I think Because we have relatives, right? And stuff like that. It's just fun when you, you hear, because let's be honest, it's all about the food at the end of the day. <laughs> like, yeah. you know that this Filipino bar, like, give me some lumpia, <laughs> give me the lecha. And, and right now with not me, my family living farther, I'm always like, oh sort of miss those little things that like community mm-hmm. building let's I miss them too they're not as often as they used to be and then they tend to be much more family centered as opposed to just because my family's gotten so huge over the years <laughs> <laughs> I've got all these little Filipinex kids all over the place you know not me personally but you know certainly my cousins and stuff like that that tends to be enough of the community party and I do kind of miss the overall feel of it mm. so in some ways yeah sometimes it's like I do kind of long for those earlier days where it really was kind of like, you know, who are all the other Filipinos in the diaspora in the, the region? Kind of like, you know, my parents saying like, oh, you're Filipino. You should come join us. Come join our prayer group or, you know, come come eat with us at this random person's birthday who apparently is your tita or something like that, but not really. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or, yeah, you're like fourth cousin, but may as well just be your actual cousin. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And like those community parties, I really do miss that food because with the family parties that we have now, there isn't a lot of Filipino food. Mm. Which is actually like, I mean, not actually, it is. It's super upsetting for me. <laughs> because I, I would agree. Pre-pandemic, maybe my family will listen to this. I don't know. I don't <laughs> care. They should know. Um, so after the last family Christmas party, a bunch of the cousins and our partners were hanging out at a bar the following night. And we just got into like this venting session about how there wasn't even rice. Oh, no. At the party. Oh, it's, oh that kills me. Mm. A crime. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Like, mm. how am I supposed to eat chicken wings? I'm not <laughs> Thank you. Chicken wings with <laughs> Thank you. a roll of bread. <laughs> no, that's not. Mm. Oh, my God. Oh, no, it's it's sacrilegious. And I and so like a, a lot of us were just like, OK, you know, what? at the next holiday party, when the family email goes out, we're going to make a stand and we're going to all volunteer to make this Filipino dish and I will make the rice because I'm always the one complaining about the how there's no rice. <laughs> oh my God. Well, I hope you what? take pictures of yeah. that spread, right? For the next fam gem. Mm-hmm. I think in some ways, Armin, when I first heard of you, I felt like an instant kinship to you because I kept thinking to myself, oh my God, first of all, who is this person in Rhode Island asking if we watch Gaia Sapalikila? And so I thought, if you've watched Gaia Sapalikila, <laughs> then you got to be my kin. You got to be someone that I probably connect with automatically, <laughs> right? We're family. Yes, we're family <laughs> automatically, right? Because I was telling Siggy about it and Siggy passed over the message and was like, Armin from Rhode Island is asking if you watch this. And I'm like, yes, I watched it. I just burned through it all and absolutely loved it. And then from (laughs) there, you know, I know that we started communicating and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. In any event, that kind of leads us into today's topic, which is really a continuation of our episode 302 in terms of the fall exploring BL love series. More specifically, it was Hello Stranger, the series. But now we're talking about Mm -hmm. Hello Stranger, the movie. And so essentially, listeners, that was our homework was to watch the movie. And so we've all watched the movie. And I just wanted to get 
everybody's initial thoughts. And so maybe I'll start off with you, Sigs, and then I'll go to Armand, and then I can tell you what I think in terms of, like, initial thoughts. What did you think? So my initial thoughts. I felt like I was watching a special episode on the CW. Like, how old are these people? (laughs) Like, just get me straight. Armin, Jesse, they're in high school, right? No, they haven't no, no. started university? They're not. They're in university. So Are they? Yes. Because they're drinking. They're drinking. So, <laughs> well, you know, mind you, if you're in the 18. Philippines, well, you're, okay. you're 16. But if you recall, he's a freshman and... Tony Labruska mm. is also in the last year, and they're all hoping to get into medical school, right? So they're finishing their un- I, okay. they're finishing their undergrad. So okay. Nico is in his first year, and apparently Savior is in like year three or year four. It's not really exactly okay. Okay. clear, but it's like year three okay. or year four is what we're thinking. So all right, thank you for clearing that up because again, you know, everyone's twenty eight <laughs> looking and it's young. Okay, so. <laughs> Whatever that was. And now this just renegs me where I want to go to their school because I want to go to a writing beach camp <laughs> where I can get served Same. yummy food or I can bring my own noodles and say, can you cook these noodles for me? Because I want a snack because <laughs> it happened in the show. But like, in all honesty, and I think Armin might feel the same. As soon as I heard the theme song, mm. like it was like an Adam Schlesinger. <laughs> the theme song to the show is great. It's like an Adam Schlesinger. I was just humming it on the weekend. We were having talks about it. It just brought joy, like this fun little thing. And my final initial thought, is it me or did Kikai get hotter than Crystal? Because I thought Crystal was way good looking before. <laughs> and then I'm like, no, wait, Kikai is way better looking than Crystal. Like it just seemed that thing sort of flipped. I'll have more initial thoughts. I have more thoughts about that. But I, those were my things that struck me I first. think Kikai was more tanned. And I think that that tan actually lent itself well during mm. all of this. I mean, just against the, that beautiful blue ocean. And yeah. I have to tell you, I did look up the actual resort that they were at and I'm like oh, yeah. oh when I get back to the Philippines next and if I can bring Michael along like we're going there right so it's really nice it's actually really nice so I would plan to go myself but yeah oh let me know when you yeah, go yeah, 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 yeah totally like we should all go right and go to the resort but I thought the same thing too I thought to myself what a beautiful like way to spend yeah. like a writing retreat and stuff like that is to go to that particular resort Armin what are your initial thoughts when you saw the movie yeah as for me you know, the series concluded in July, Yes, I think. Yes. Something, you know, middle of the summer. And when I heard about the movie, I was like sort of over it by right. then because the guys at Belicola took over my life. <laughs> and <laughs> I was like, okay, well, I guess, I don't know. Is this going to work out? Because when they initially filmed the series, you know, everyone's on the Zoom screens. Right. So are they going to have the same kind of chemistry when they're finally physically there together in person but you know as soon as yeah like Siggy said as soon as the the first guitar chord was strummed I just couldn't stop smiling because mm. <laughs> because it, it immediately brought me back yeah yeah it immediately brought me back to the early days of the pandemic which is <laughs> a weird thing to say in like a positive way because <laughs> the reason why I got into watching BLs is because of the pandemic and because I thought, oh, this is the perfect opportunity for me to finally learn Tagalog. And so that's the main reason why I got into it. It's a great way to actually immerse yourself. I have to say, too, it's like all the latest slang and some deep or malalim Tagalog, really deep Tagalog Mm -hmm. lies in it. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's how you say this. Or what's LQ? (laughs) Oh, lover's quarrel. Oh, okay. Like, you know, (laughs) so it's like... I remember when that first came up, I think it was actually in Gaia Pelicula. I had to ask my mom, I'm like, 
What's no LQ? What's LQ, mom? Right? But yeah, I think that that you know, for any person that wants to just kind of get immersed in Tagalog, watching all these BL series is fantastic. Especially on YouTube, they're all properly subtitled in some ways. Although sometimes I see some things that mm-hmm. I might not interpret or translate that way. But that's for another episode. So, what's nice about the Hello Stranger series is that I think it's the only BL series that I could find that has. Filipino subtitles. Oh, right. Yes, uh, yes, yes. Oh. <laughs> to the point where they translate even the English parts of the Thaglish <laughs> into proper Tagalog, which is pretty yeah, cool. That is uh, so, cool. But it, it's a mouthful on, on the right. subtitles. <laughs> Any other thoughts that you had about the movie as you were kind of going through it? Yeah. Man, I have such a crush on Jun Jun. Really? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I like, at first, in the beginning of the series... You know, yes, okay, Miko and Xavier, they're, like, super good-looking. And Miko's more of my type because he's more of, like, the nerdy kind of guy. But then at some point, Junjun just kind of, like, creeped into my I mind. Can together. I totally I'm can see like, it together, yeah. I can see it. Oh, thank, thank you. <laughs> I can totally see it. And he's, like, quirky and fun. It's cool. And he's yeah. wise. Like, in the end, he's really he, wise, yes. right? He has a lot he's of wise, wise advice. One. And Sage, as I'm going to be describing later on in the podcast as well. For me, I just found it really satisfying. I think for those listeners that listened to episode 302, Siggy and I talked a little bit about how the web series ended up in a place where they didn't kiss. And it was just like, you just yeah. had a hug? It's oh. It was like, where's oh. the affection? I got so mad. Yeah. <laughs> we're just giving each other a high five. Like, I was like, what? Is this pandemic? Is it because we're very, like, I don't proper Filipinos? I was like, what's, that, what's happening here? Like, well, come on. and I get... Yes, yeah, so unrealistic. Well, it was unrealistic. I think to myself that after like eight or nine episodes, here it is building up sexual tension, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, at least we're going to see a kiss. It's okay if we don't see anything else. You just want to see yeah. that connection a la a Hallmark movie. You never see anything until mm-hmm. that last kiss. And then it's like, okay, then, you know, happily ever after. And I was expecting that. And then just to see a hug, it was just like lunch bag letdown. And they even like did the slow down thing for the second yes. hug. And I thought that was going to be the yes. moment. Uh, I know. <laughs> after after singing a duet together. Yes. yes. You would think that they were going to kiss, but they didn't. And I thought it was a bit of a stolen opportunity in some ways. And so I was oh. a little bit hesitating in terms of watching the movie itself, but in the end found mm. it really satisfying. It gave what I think every listener out there that watches Hello Stranger, the series, as well as the movie was looking for. And for me, it had like all the romantic comedy elements. And mm. it was also a really sweet echo to the, the Hello Stranger mm. web series, simply because, you know, they would echo certain themes. And I'm like, hey, I recognize that line, right? That line comes from the web series. So I just kept thinking to myself that there were these winks that they kept doing to those that had seen and paid attention and watched multiple times the actual web series. So when, you know, they talked about top bunk, bottom bunk, top student, top athlete, like all of that stuff, or the whole pinky Mm -hmm. and the promise from Xavier, which mimics like the promise Mm -hmm. that Miko made, trying to support Xavier during his breakup with Crystal or... That whole thing. Do you remember that dream sequence in episode three where Miko dreams of Xavier? He says, you know, put your put your hand here. You know, you might feel something. And then it gets oh, mimicked. God. It gets mimicked in the movie. That was so uncomfortable to watch. Oh, I know. I know, right? And so it was like, you knew it was oh, a dream God. sequence, but it was like, oh my gosh, Tony Labrusca putting Cringy. on the most cringiest kind of romantic moment there. 
Yeah. And so then seeing Savior kind of mimic that when he's drunk in the movie, it was just fun to see these lines echoed. And I thought, oh, mm. I love the repetition of these themes, kind of putting mm-hmm. it back and forth. And I thought to myself, oh, you actually thought about the construction of this movie. So I was really impressed by it. Now, I think the question to really ask is what scene made you kinikilig? So in other words, what scene gave you lots of romantic excitement? You know, and again, Filipinos like to pride themselves on this idea that we have this word that no one else seems to have translated <laughs> to kilig, or in, in this case, you know, your experience of kinikilig. Siggy, let's start with you. What scene made you bring out those feelings of romantic excitement? Well, let's be honest, like the spoiler at the end, like mm. they've built up to this or whatever. And the fact that they arranged the theme song with the duet of them echoing the harmonies and for them to go to the final kiss, like which they worked for very long. Like that was, I think oh that God. was it. I think that was the punch. I was like, oh, there you go. Finally. Like, and they just dancing on the beach. But like when you listen to the arrangement with both the leads on that on the theme song revamped by both of them they're even echoing right and they're even giving the opportunity for jc and like tony to be like i love you i love you it's just it meets it i'm like this is what the payoff is right that's the romantic payoff and that's i will give them that mm. <laughs> for my scene armin how about you mm. what scene made you leg or you know give you romantic excitement well as mentioned before, so when the main theme started, so like pretty much kind of that entire intro, but then, you know, it all came crashing down when I realized that Miko and Xavier weren't together. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. They, they did that really well. I like when I, I was looking at your notes that it mentioned that and I was like, wait, what? No, I'm pretty sure I saw them together in the same car. And so I actually rewatched the movie last right. night. <laughs> Which was great. I loved watching it again. It was wonderful. But yeah, it was so clever the way they okay. shot that. Uh, so how cool. many times have you watched it already, Armin? Because I can tell you unabashedly, I've watched it five times. Yeah, the, the movie? movie. When it premiered. So I woke up at like five in the morning to watch it with all the Filipinos oh in the God. Philippines. <laughs> and took some time off work that morning to watch it. And then watched it on the weekend with Michael after that. And then watched it two more times and then watched it last weekend. So again, unabashedly five times, right? Oh my God. Like, have you watched it? You've watched it two times? So, <laughs> only two times. Yeah, well, this explains why you have extensive notes. Armin, you've got to catch up then. You, got, you, you need to like watch it three more times. Yes, this is why I've got extensive notes on the entire thing. What else gave you those romantic feelings? So, the, uh, the flashback scene mm-hmm. to where they flashback to immediately after the last episode of the series right. where they're. Sitting in, not sitting in the trunk. Well, yeah, sitting in the trunk of his car, Ah, but like, you know, tailgate style. And where Xavier goes in for what we think is finally the kiss. And it ends up totally not being. But their interaction between them up until that point is just like super cute. Mm. JC Alcantara has just like, I don't know, he's really good at playing that type of character. He really does. I definitely have more of a crush on him as Miko than him as himself. Right. No, that makes sense. If you watch him on YouTube regularly, I can see that. But yeah. he does a really great job of playing that kind of shy nerd that's just yeah. one. With the dimple. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the dimple. And he really knows how to cry. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. He, he, he's not an ugly crier. 
I'm not good crying. A, he knows how to cry. And then B, like I remember seeing one of these outtakes and that afterwards he got so in the moment, that fight scene that they had at the end, that so much so that after Mm. they finished filming and they got the take, like Tony actually had to comfort him and say like, it's it's okay, like we're fine, all of that stuff. So it was quite amazing actually. (laughs) Talk about like an actor's actor, like really in there, really method acting. Yeah. Oh, that's impressive. I didn't know that. I still have to go through all the YouTube videos of the making of and all that. I'll have to send you my playlist. That's what I'll have to do. Have my you YouTube watched all the playlist. Of, uh, pretty much. Pretty much. I've uh, been obsessed. I've been obsessed. I mean, you've seen the movie five yes, times. Yes, I've seen the movie five <laughs> I times. I have to work up to this. This pop culture like savoring. Kuya, you have it to a science. <laughs> I, I, I don't know that this it's This is a, what I'm learning from this I, podcast. I think it's more about <laughs> obsession more than anything else. In terms of the scenes that made me Kaniki leg, same thing in terms of what you had said, Armin. That was certainly one of them, right? The flashback of where Xavier tries to lean in for that kiss. I also kind of read his reaction. There was a bit of subtext to his reaction because, you know, he kind of has this kind of, his breath is taken away. And it's like, in it, I read this idea that, oh, we're going to play these heteronormative roles in Filipino culture. Meaning he's, Uh. Miko's going to make Xavier chase him a little bit to earn the kiss even that much more. And I thought, Oh, that is a common Filipino trope that I've seen in a lot of teleserias where the female makes the male work really hard for affection. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, oh, like, that's interesting. Like, it could be read that way. But I was also kind of taking much joy and excitement at all of that, of Miko being modest or at least pretending to be modest. But I think the, I think the, the scene that took it away from me where I just like, I lost it huh? on the premiere when I was watching this was when at the end, the whole thing is called Hello Stranger. Every web episode has been like, hello, jealousy, hello, whatever. Right. So when they said like, are we going to the party as friends? No, we're going more than as friends. And then one of them says to each other, hello, boyfriend. And that whole grand gesture of love, like any romantic comedy, there's always supposed Mm. to be a grand gesture of love. And it just, it floored me to just kind of see like, what do you call that? It's not a, I don't want to call it a gazebo. What is it? It was like a tent structure, if if you will. Oh, what's the word that I'm looking for? A pergola? <laughs> a pergola, right? Or some, some type of the pergola with a bunch of sticky notes replaying the exercise of how others see, you, po- you know, that post-it note exercise. That was so wonderful for me. That's certainly something that kind of created a lot of romantic excitement. The mm. other thing that I want to ask both of you is what did you most appreciate about Hello, Stranger, the movie? Let me go to you, Sigs. What did you most appreciate about the movie? Well, itself? that idiot James, like aside from his stupid microaggressions, got assigned the worst oh, haircut, so he deserved guy. it. That stupid <laughs> mullet, like, ha ha, you are small-minded, so you get the stupidest haircut, dummy. Number one, not to be thinking, Arvin had identified that plot device of not knowing for the few minutes that Miko and Zave were not together, which is so current right now like a lot of shows that we watch on tv or whatever is like oh there's a plot missing why aren't they together are they together it's that tease right where they went to the cars you're like is he getting in his car and then you realize they are not Mm. and just the hallmarks of teen movies and like it got a little spicy with like the nudity thing (laughs) where he had the book his notebook on his junk and Xavier's (laughs) like I need that and it was sort of crazy and then the jellyfish thing with him peeing and it was sort of like a pie like because it looks like he was giving him head I apologize my mom and dad if you're listening to this by the way when he peed on him after he vanished yeah I wondered that too like like, he's like come on let's go you smell like urine because 
So, spoiler alert, Miko gets a jellyfish sting. Xavier's like, I got to pee on you. And I'm just As like... As a friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that kills it. And that plot was stolen from friends. But he just vanished. I'm like, does that happen? Like, you, you pee on someone, you just go away? Like, first of all, Xavier, very rude, number one. And Miko didn't even say thank you. I don't even understand. Aside from that, honestly, the creator... Was he supposed to? Was he supposed to? I have no clue. And plus, much more intimate, right? It's nice to see when a franchise does something for its fans. We see this with other movies, like, I don't know, the Kristen Bell movie with, like, Veronica Mars. It's nice that these fans is Hello Stranger. We got what we wanted at the end, this union, the kiss, that built up, like, cathartic moment, right? right? And right. I thought that was a nice thing that I really appreciated about the movie. Because I remember, God, Arvin, you would have laughed. Jez gave me the assignment of BL series. And, okay, you're going to watch Hello Stranger. Like, I almost called him. I'm like, what the hell is this? At the end, they didn't even kiss. And just like, okay, we're going to hold so mad. till the episode. I was mad. I'm like, what, 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 what happened here? Like, come on. Like, it's a love story. They should be kissing. Of course they should be kissing. But, yes. Yeah. Armand, go ahead. <laughs> what did you appreciate most about the, oh, man. the movie, Armand? Things I appreciated. I really loved the interactions of the Me young Padawans. Too. They, it was super fun, and it looked like they. It didn't look like they were acting. Yeah, like, it just looked real, like real authentic, authentic joy yeah. at being together in person. Mm-hmm. You know, I would definitely feel that way. <laughs> you know, they had such a great <laughs> community. Friends after the yeah, pandemic. like uh, mm-hmm. you know, wanting to kind of like mm-hmm. hug your friends after the pandemic, as you had said. Such great, great sense of community, like that we were talking about earlier. And I was kind of like, oh, you know, yeah. the nice part was this is that I felt like we were part of that community, that we were part of the young Padawans as well. Mm. Right? So I don't know if you felt that way or not. I was definitely part of that shaggy shaggy <laughs> shuffleboard. <laughs> <laughs> that was okay. Is that? a reference to something or is that their own thing because it was so it worked it made sense I, I don't know and so if there's a listener out there especially our listeners in the Philippines if you know we want to know please educate us right and contact us on our socials around that what else did you appreciate about the yeah I loved that there was a gay couple another yeah. gay couple in the movie and nothing bad that's happened right to them. yes 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 they were just a happy gay couple Doing they started going out in the beginning of the movie and they continued to be a couple. It was really nice, and and I really enjoyed and appreciated that. So I appreciated, like, you know, the overall wholesomeness of the movie, but I liked the the (laughs) of... Yeah, of like, yeah, the jellyfish scene, the naked scene. And this is my new favorite thing. So the scene with oh, Tina yes, Moran, yes. there was like an inside joke there. Did you get it? It was like a Tagalog-related inside You'll joke. You'll have to remind me. I flew over my head. So she like, she appears and she's like, when I say Tina, you say Moran, Tina, yes. Moran, Tina, Moran. And so I didn't know about this, but because I've been learning Tagalog, I'm just like, oh, Instagram, your uh, Instagram account that teaches Tagalog, I'm going to follow you. And so there's this one account, learn the number two, uh, speak Tagalog. And he, it's great because he actually posts hilarious and funny and useful Tagalog, including like explicit ones. <laughs> And so if you look up uh, explicit post number four, he talks about this. And so it's like a pun because they were saying, Tina Moran, like if you say it faster, then it's more or less Tagalog for like a facial. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why the teacher says, oh, okay, okay. Enough, enough. Oh my God. I did and, not know that. I learned something new today. That is fantastic. 
Yeah, it's hilarious. So if you go to that uh, the the fourth explicit post on learn to speak Tagalog, uh, you'll see the explanation and how that. Oh works. well, I'll have to check <laughs> that out. Hilariously I'll have wonderful. To check that out. Oh my goodness. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, what else? Oh, I also really liked that because in the series, it felt like Crystal was kind of like a villain type yes. character, but I liked that was less so the case here. Mm-hmm. You were able to be sympathetic, empathetic to the situation that she was in. But it was also awesome because she was the one who is taking initiative to just break things off with Xavier instead of just wallowing. I love that storyline too. And just being confused. Yeah, you know, it was to me, I don't know. Did you guys ever watch The Hours with Nicole Kidman? Yeah, Meryl Streep and Julianne Moore and that whole story. Like if I ever want to cry and I can't seem to cry, I just watch the hours and then tears just roll. And it's all about kind of like, (laughs) I'm going to live my truth and authenticity, even if it ends up killing others, unfortunately. And I just thought to Mm -hmm. myself, oh, this is so great. Here's Crystal living her life Mm -hmm. and she's doing the hard thing that's scary, but her living her life allows everyone else to live their life too. And I just thought, oh, that's a great message. Mm-hmm. That was something that I certainly appreciated was that whole idea of people's journey of truth. So if you recall, that was part of their writing exercises mm. for their literature camp that they were on. So Crystal certainly was, her journey of truth was from dependence to autonomy, not independence, but autonomy and not having to necessarily over-rely or be dependent on others. And then I think about Kukai, you know, <laughs> and about following the path to bucking the trend. Oh, I can't be dating June June. If I date June June, what's going to end up happening is, is, is that going to upset my sister and it's going to buck the trend but she was able to essentially buck the trend and be okay with that and then of course Seth like being in the shadow to then suddenly being in a spotlight of his own and then or sorry that was Seth but June June was about really being a truth teller Mm. in the web series and then just being the person that shows up giving all the sage advice whether it was for Crystal it's not about like letting go it's like why are you holding on to what he was saying to Xavier about kind of like just trust me and follow don't you believe again giving all that sage advice and then of course the two main characters Xavier and Miko Xavier like going from choosing others to finally choosing his heart and Miko being twice shy to trying again for someone that doesn't want to try again so I very much enjoyed all of that. And same in terms of the challenging of the microaggressions, I really appreciated how they just Mm. gave nice ways of saying that that's not okay. And I just thought to myself, if I was a young Filipino kid somewhere in the world seeing this, it's like now it's suddenly given me a template terms of how to respond in terms of those microaggressions mm-hmm. especially when arvin was saying james you should know more about the soji bill and it was really funny yeah. because yeah that was, that was really cool. cool it's like you should know more and plus i've got two mums and it was like oh arvin's got two mums how great is that i just really also like how honest the dialogue was i've watched some other bl series where it's like wow that was really cringy and here it just felt really natural oh. <laughs> Tell me about yeah, it. Yeah, like mm-hmm. I'm sure, like if you've been watching a lot of BL series, it's like, mm, that's really hokey. But here it just felt really yeah. honest, also at the same time, just really authentic. That's what I probably appreciated the most. Mm. Oh, and then like the last thing is, is that I thought the movie was really thoughtful. It didn't fall victim to being a victim of its own tropes. The movie developed the characters really well from being opposites attracts to just finding love by being authentic. And I think that that's what I really enjoyed much. And I think that this is why I can kind of keep coming back to it because I 
keep pulling out some of those meanings out of the movie. Mm. I don't know if you either of you got anything else to kind of add to this whole idea of like what you appreciate about Hello Stranger the movie or anything else or any other observations you have. I just have a bit of a question for both you and Armin. You're seeing excellent representation in the BL series, right? And now in North America, there's some TV movies and films, like Billy Eichner has headlining a rom-com, the movie Happiest Season. Do you think that we'll see more intersectionality to hit our screens here in North America? I hope so. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. think that that's one of the last frontiers in the entertainment industry. And yeah. as Michael has also been watching some of this BL series with me, he's like, why don't we see more of these people kind of cross mainstream? And mm-hmm. Michael has a crush on Tony Labrusca. So he's tried to devour as much as possible <laughs> on Tony. And I, I won't lie. I've, I've got a crush on devour. Tony. Devour. Yeah, like literally <laughs> devour, I think. I think he wants it like, mm, tasty morsel, right? So he's got a crush on Tony. I've got a crush on Tony. He's Filipino-American and had yeah. spent some time in Canada as well. And speaks perfect English. He could be an actor here somewhere in North America or for Western audiences, I hope. I don't know, Armin, if if you have any thoughts on that, but I, I certainly hope that intersectionality starts to be reflected a little bit more on the movie screen here in North America. Yeah, I would definitely love to see something like that. I'd like to think that is getting to be more the case here. I mean, I'm not the biggest consumer of media, these days I'm trying to like not be on <laughs> on a screen. Although right now my partner and I are watching Shit's Creek. Oh, which yeah! is super great. <laughs> we just started, so we're like halfway through season two. From what I've heard with Dan Levy is that like, you know, he's just done a great job of just of showing queer representation in the show. Mm. And I'm not sure how that plays out, but from where I'm seeing it so far, like, you know, I'm really enjoying it. We're both really enjoying it. Oh, I can't wait to hear more of your Um, thoughts on that. You'll have to like, absolutely. You'll have to DM us as you progress into season three and (laughs) three and four. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. I know that not seeing enough representation on the screen, especially like Filipino gay characters on the screen, at least I can speak Mm. from my experience, at least that I've been thirsty for lack of better words, really thirsty for this Mm. stuff. And I think because I've been so thirsty, you know, my experience of Kilig has really made me crave to see more of them and just Mm -hmm. kind of keep repeating it in some ways. And I think I've been on this rabbit hole, find all the press junkets that Tony Labrusca and JC Alcantara have been on. Just got me thinking about romance love teams or love teams in general. Do you guys know what love teams are in terms of the Philippine culture and stuff like that? I like had to Google it last night and I think I have an understanding of it. (laughs) Yeah, it is quite what I would call an industry. And I would probably call it the Filipino romantic industrial complex is the way I would probably (laughs) scholarly (laughs) like to call it. And for our listeners that don't know what love teams are, they're pairs of actors that are depicted by the Philippine media as romantic couples. So typically what will happen is that two people will star in some romantic comedy hit. And then of course people experience Kilig and want to continue to see them be a couple past the movie. The media constructs these on-screen romances to become entertainment headlines, and then they live out in the public lives of these particular actors. And I will say that my favorite love team or heteronormative love team is James Reed and Nadine Lustra. Nadine Lustra is a Filipina actress, and James Reed, I think he's German-Filipino, German-English-Filipino, I think. They sing one of my favorite Filipino songs. And oh my gosh. Armin, I know that you're <laughs> listening to Filipino 
be immersed in Tagalog. So listen to Hanap Hanap. I think <laughs> it's a cheesy okay. love song. It is a cheesy love song. <laughs> you play it all the time. I play I it all the time. You're like, we're listening to Hanap we're, Hanap. We're, we're listening like, to Hanap okay, Hanap, right? Go ahead. Although right now I've also, been, Michael and I have been listening to Blanco by Janela Salvadors, who also sings Moana. I can't remember the song, but we'll put it in the show notes. Mm. But I just have to say, like, in terms of these love teams, they're quite amazing that they get lived out in the entire entertainment culture media out there. And they can sometimes play havoc in people's lives. And Michael and I had recently watched the movie Between Maybes. And I originally saw this actually before the pandemic began when I was coming from the Philippines back to Canada. And it's also put out and produced by the same people that put out Hello Stranger. And the actor Gerald Anderson was in a love team or later broke up with his previous love team match to a new love team match in between (laughs) maybes and caused all of this drama. (laughs) drama. Yeah, in some ways. But to kind of bring... He got traded. Yeah, yeah. It totally was upgraded and, you know, it was all unfortunate. It all played out in the news. And if you ever wanted to look for it on ABS-CBN, just Google Gerald Anderson. And boy, I can't ever remember that ABS-CBN newscaster. Anyways, not important. But I was just going to say, like, as you kind of see this, you know that these love teams have to do these press junkets and these like YouTube videos and stuff like that. So it's been really wonderful, like just kind of watching JC and Tony just kind of play these stupid games and stuff like that. And I've Mm. like, I've spent like countless hours that it can never get back watching it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) When I really need to be doing other things. Well, that is an hour away from my life, but I have to say, I don't feel too bad about that. Have either of you gotten into it? Armin, have you gotten into kind of watching some of this? Uh, With JC and Tony? Yeah, definitely. Like immediately after the web series concluded, I was just like, I I need more of them. I need to see them (laughs) all the time. And also... This counts as like Tagalog study, so I'm, I'm gonna look <laughs> up. Crazy. I'm gonna look up for these videos. Have you seen the um the egg slapping video? Yes, I've seen the egg slapping video. It's just like it's really cute because they're they're just being two friends, like, laughing their heads off, trying not to break this egg, and it's really just endearing to see their interactions with each other because it just seems and looks to be very authentic. I really like your phrase there. Like it's really endearing. Like at the end of the day, where the love, the heterosexual love teams that we see in the Philippine media are all about kind of like that continued romance, which I don't think is actually sustainable in the end. Like how can you be in that type of puppy love, you know, for three or four years? You probably can. It's not actually realistic, but I think it's this Filipino thirst for kilig, Mm -hmm. you know, in a lot of ways. But it's interesting seeing it for playing it out in BL series. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen any of the love team stuff for Ian Pangalingan or Paolo Pangalingan for Gaia Sepalikila. Have you seen any of that stuff? Pang Pang. Oh, my God. I love... I love watching their stuff too. <laughs> they're fun, it's, right? Like they're just kind of fun watching. You yeah. know, it's like two dudes hanging out, having fun, being very affectionate with each other sometimes. Yeah. And like while the series was, as the episodes were being released, I think they were doing like weekly Zoom meetups or something with the rest of the cast and maybe some of the fans, some of the like the famous reactors. Yes, 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 yes. Um, and, and it was just like, once again, really endearing to see the two of them also be friendly off screen. But it was also really cool to see that they were talking about some of the more important issues about queer representation and that Ian is not just a, I think he's a straight guy. Is he a straight guy? I think so. Yeah, I think so. 
he seems like, yeah, he's the straight half of the two. And it was really nice to see that he was just as informed and passionate about queer representation as uh, Pablo is. In as much as they have fun, sometimes been watched, it's been great to hear them say queer or describe queer positivity and relationships and that, you know, mm. whether they're saying love is love or some version of that same story, it's been really refreshing. I also have to say, it has also mm. felt a gay Filipino man who hasn't seen much reflection on media it's been healing in some ways just seeing not only Mm, just mm -hmm. the bl series or hello stranger the movie but it's just been healing to kind of see the press tours of these bromance love team whether they're gay or straight but the fact that they're talking about how gay love you know queer positivity same-sex love is all good at the end of the day and i think to myself wow like i wonder what kind of impact this is all having on the greater, larger Filipino discussion, you know, not only just in the Philippines, but all over the world for that matter too, because there's been such a proliferation of this, these BL series and romance that's being depicted. Yeah, and even non-Filipinos as well, because it seems like a lot of people are obsessed with BLs now. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, based on who I've seen reacting to all these series. I think there's something nice about kind of people falling in love. And I think that that's like a universal truth that everyone could probably relate to. And I think a lot of BL series tend to be on the more wholesome side, if you will. I mean, I've seen some other like BL series where it's like, whoa, that's a lot for a BL series to kind of depict. You know, and it's like, like that's bordering on softcore porn in some ways. And I'm like, how does this even get through the YouTube censors? Oh, which one? I'll, I'll tell you after the podcast, right? So, But I think the last point that I kind of want to make about these love teams too, especially these love teams for BL series, is is that it must feel relieving for these male actors to not have to necessarily keep up these portents or these portrayals of being in constant romantic love. Because like what I was just alluding to earlier, you can't. But here it's just like a nice bromance, which in some ways really resembles what I would call companionate love in a lot of ways. Would you guys agree or would you guys have any comments about that? I didn't have any real comments or whatever. I just like hearing what you're thinking about the endearing and then you don't have to pretend like it's, and the honeymoon doesn't last for that. I was just thinking of that, but no, nothing to add. Mm. Go ahead, Armin. Yeah. So actually this is something that's sort of been on my mind with various BLs because like, I'll try to watch some of them. And then I'll just go, oh my God, like, I feel like if you made this a heterosexual love story, this guy would be called out and put in jail. He's like, oh. he's like obsessively pursuing this person. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I feel like it's controversial to say, but like, I f- that's the way I feel about like Game Boys. Game Boys? Yeah, Game Boys. Game Boys. Yeah, that's right. Is that another BL series? Yeah, yeah and there's... it's also available on Netflix. Yeah, it was like one of the Yeah, it ones. was one of the, the first ones that were out there. And you're right, in some ways. Armin, I'm glad that you brought that one up because that one really maps on a heteronormative Filipino stereotype mm-hmm. onto these two guys. Elijah Canales and... Okay. I can't remember what his name is. Cocoy, yes, Cocoy de Santos. Yeah. You know, Cocoy does look like he is stalking, and yet there is this kind of prize value of pursuing. So it is kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. It is kind of like, hmm, like that almost borders on harassment in a lot of ways. And I wouldn't disagree with you, right? It feels like Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's Mm -hmm. quite... At the same time, on the flip side, Elijah's character 
very much plays the hard to get. I'm not really interested in love, but I'm actually interested in love. This kind of coquettish, Mm -hmm. shy, you can't win my love. You're not worthy of my love. You need to kind of work for it. And it's interesting because it has messages about how Filipino love needs to be expressed, that it needs to be worked for, it needs to be earned, and it needs to be pursued. But I think that there are limits to Mm -hmm. all of that. I think that these BL series kind of reveal that there should be limits in a lot of ways, that it's more than, you know, like you can pursue, but not to a point where the pursuit becomes pressure. Right. Yeah. Like as the series develops, not to, I won't spoil anything, but as the series develops, you definitely start to question that, like, is this, like, is this relationship worth it to like make all these sacrifices just to be with each other? Because... I feel a little gross. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, and when I first started watching the show, I think the appeal of it being in Tagalog for me kind of overrided the toxicity of the storyline. And so as I was going along, I'm like, oh man, I really love the series. This is wonderful. I can't wait to have my partner watch it. And then we watched the first episode again, or for him for the first time. And as we were watching it, I was like, oh. This uh, now maybe this isn't the best way to introduce my partner to BLs because this feels like icky a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I find that this is probably why I've gravitated more to Hello Stranger only simply because uh-huh. it doesn't overdo some of the Filipino conceptions of love to a point of toxicity as, as you yeah. were kind of just describing there. And for me, when yeah. you started texting Siggy our socials and then I was kind of responding back, I truly enjoyed your take on Gaia Sapalekila because it felt very real. It felt very authentic and not having to rely on these Filipino tropes in terms of how we pursue love or how we fall in love or how we get into love with, with others. And mm. so- oh my God. I found myself like, crying at the end of every episode you guys have really good oh my gosh well i mean i mean maybe we'll have to do a taste test at some point right to kind of do gaia sepalicula but i remember the one episode where listeners what you need to know about gaia sepalicula is that at the end that they would have like a different song and then they would show the two guys kind of hanging out on the couch in various different ways but oh. there was one episode where it's like mm-hmm. no one was on the couch and it was just like, oh my God, tears oh. and tears and a more tears. Stab in yeah, the heart. it was totally a stab <laughs> in the heart. And it's like, you have to ask the question, why isn't anybody on the couch? Yeah. And then they always have like the message at the yes. end that like, it's just like, oh yes, I know it. It's, oh, it's so deep. It, it cuts me so deep. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think, so this is the trick. Not all BL series there are great. We have to be kind of mindful of them. I think the only other BL series that I'm willing to take the toxicity of is probably Omando. Have you watched Omando? I don't know if you've watched it. Oh, I've heard of it. But then when I, it's Coco de Santos again. Yes, it's Coco. And then it's. Right, yeah. So playing a different Yeah, different and uh, playing a different gay person. And then there's Alex Diaz, who is Filipino American. And I think he's a bi. Yes, he actually, he came out as bi because there was this whole indecent proposal. So, Sig, yeah. you got to hear this. This is really salacious. I have, to, I have to catch up with you guys. Okay, go ahead. I want to hear. Here's the salacious gossip, right? So apparently he put out an indecent proposal to his fitness trainer. His fitness trainer then exposed the text and then it went viral. And then there was all this judgment, Whoa. you know, and people were like about to withdraw endorsements, deals with him and stuff like that. <gasps> He's Scottish and Filipino. This 
information got out into the ether. There was lots of judgment that occurred. He said, yes, this is my truth eventually. So he spinned the PR and then said, I'm going to take a break and then came back more than ever in this BL series. He actually had another show out called My Fantastic Buggy Big, where he plays a merman or sereno, you know, in Tagalog. So it's so cheesy. It's so cheesy, but it basically replicates the little mermaid, but in a very kind of stilted way. But it is still like cheesy and wonderful to watch if you ever want to, if you have nothing to do on a Sunday afternoon. Armin, you probably might agree with me on this. This is that all of watching these BL series and watching these love teams kind of interact for their press tour, as well as watching Hello, Stranger, the movie, really kind of promotes this feelings of Kilik. And I think something that we've at least... Sure does. (laughs) It really does, doesn't it? And at the end of all of this, it's that it leaves us chasing this feeling, like kind of like chasing that romantic excitement. And I think what we've been talking about is it becomes an endless chase. And I worry about it ultimately leading to disappointment. And so which kind of brings us to the fixing of the week, which is really about spending time focusing on deepening love because there's different conceptions of love and it usually starts off with that puppy love or that romantic excitement. But I think it, we get to that deeper place of companion and love. And, you know, and I think about my relationship with Michael and it is about that. It is, you know, the romantic excitement and all of that puppy love at the beginning is not necessarily there. It sometimes pops its way out in, in certain parts of the year, but, you know, it really comes down to the companion love. And I don't think I would trade any of that for any more Keelig for that mm. matter. I'm happy to just kind of watch the press tour junket of Tony Labruska and JC Alcantara (laughs) if I really needed to feel some of that romantic excitement. I don't know if you guys have anything else to add to that fixing Mm. of the week that let's spend time deepening love instead of just chasing Kilig. Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. I feel that way with my partner, Ben, short for Benedict, not Mm. Benjamin. He'll get mad. <laughs> we don't want Benedict to get um, mad, but, right? So. No, of course not. <laughs> no. But yeah, like I can definitely agree with that. In, in the beginning, like, you know, things were super puppy lovey and can be at times. But I think I'm very much enjoying our being able to be at ease mm. with each other. You know, finding that comfortable si- silence, which you don't necessarily get yeah. with everybody. You know, sometimes it's a hard thing to find. And Ben is also my musical partner as as well as my life partner. So we have a musical Mm. duo. So that also brings another sense of fulfillment to our relationship. And I think that that's it, fulfillment. I think it's fun to chase Mm. the romantic excitement, but really spend time deepening your love so that we ultimately feel fulfilled. So Sigs, that takes us to the end. Take us out and lead Armin through all of his socials and stuff like that so we can promote him. Armin, we just like had the tip of the iceberg for you to tell us, but can you please tell our listeners how they can know more about you and your partner, your band, your your social media, uh, share with our listeners. And we'll put them in the show notes too. Yes. So I have a musical duo called The Vox Hunters. Vox with a V because we do a lot of music research. And we have an Instagram, which is at... The Vox Hunters. We have a website, thevoxhunters.com. We have a band camp, which you'll find if you Google it. And then I'm also a violin maker. Yes. So I have my own Instagram, which is at Aramin Violins, A-R-O-M-I-N, Violins. So my last name. And I also have a website, araminviolins.com, where I have instruments for sale and rent to pay. 
folks, you need to go in there. I just downloaded Box Hunter's second album. It is amazing. My wife's going to love it. And honestly, the art, the stuff that you share, like during Christmas time, Armin had set up like some amazing arrangements of music and he did Dahel Sayo, oh, yes. which I was like teary. I'm like, oh my God, this is so good. <laughs> the onus is on you right now. I really want you to do an arrangement for the theme from like Hello Stranger. I really appreciate it. <laughs> I, find your own spin on oh, it. Man, I will I be very happy. <laughs> Folks, so great to have you here, Armin. If you want to have more questions, direct them to Armin or more questions for us, email us at hollowhollowpopculture at gmail.com. Our Twitter handles are at Hello Hello Pop. Our Instagram handle is at Hello Hello Pop Culture. The Hello Hello Podcast is available on all podcast platforms. Please feel free to rate us and leave us a review. Finally, we receive editorial feedback from Mary Beth Badian. Our musical theme is by Chel Turingen. We'll see all of you guys again real soon. See you guys soon. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>